Earthlings, we have now taken over your radio. Kobe! Oh man, oh man. Get that Celtic ass! You know, MJ had his food poisoning game, affectionately known as the flu game. I'll have the migraine pod. It's totally, totally fair. You know, I'll, I'll really carry the team right now and, uh, and uh, you know, wrap this one up succinctly for us, you know? How are you? I love it, man. The migraine pod. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. Um, it's crazy how fast five weeks seem to have gone by. <laughs> I remember, like, looking forward to this, and here we are five weeks later wrapping up uh, all 10 episodes. Uh, how are you feeling after those last two last night? I loved those two uh, last episodes. Um, basically, just out of the footage that we got to see, like the uh, they they did a really good job just patching together little anecdotes or little squabbles between teammates or players um, or between rivals. That was maybe not heartwarming, but just kind of puts you in the moment. And that's all you could ask for, for any sort of docu-series or something, you know, um, recollecting the past. And that's how I, I, I don't know, my heart was warm watching the last two episodes. And they did a really good job tying a bow on uh, on what happened at the end of it. And uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really happy with how it turned out. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, couldn't agree more. That uh, <laughs> That conversation MJ and Larry had after, was it Game 7? Oh, man, uh, just in the tunnels there. I mean, I could have watched an hour full of just clips like that of, like you said, like it's it's the athletes talking uh, before getting up on the podium or it's in the tunnels afterwards and stuff like that. Uh, those are some of the best clips through all 10 episodes for sure. Yeah, Larry, Larry and MJ is a definite highlight. One of the one of the like that was one of the first few times, maybe all quarantine that I have watched something and audibly like like chuckled like like a yeah. laugh. <laughs> um because that's that that's a over a decade of rivalry you know going back to larry as a player and mj uh and and now you know coaching coaching the uh pacers um that was super cool to see and then one of the other one is uh the other two that stuck out was uh they had a chance to close out in game five in chicago and he looked at Scotty Burrell and he said, Scotty, if I ever see you again after this, I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> and uh, there was one last one. Uh, Phil Jackson, this is a serious effing situation and this game should be dead effing meat. <laughs> As if you said that, man, that caught me off guard. Yeah. And it, it was just a little like a little gaze into the fact that, yeah, Phil is the Zen coach and he like he has all these holistic practices. But at the, at the end of the day, he's still your coach and he's still going to tell, tell it like it is. No doubt, man. Without a doubt. I, uh, yeah. I mean, how about the end though? I mean, flat out, Mike says we could have won seven. Like I, he was pissed. Like that was, I know that was the first time I've ever heard him talk about. Yeah. Like he would have gone back. He would have loved to try and go for that fourth in a row, go for that seventh overall. And Reinsdorf, again, yeah, another guy that's I don't think has been on the record until now coming out and saying like, yeah, it was just going to be too expensive and everyone was going their own ways. And it seems like there was no way for Phil to come back. I feel like we didn't get any like 
jaw-dropping revelations through this, but getting both of those guys on the record about the end of of 98, um, I think was a pretty great way to end it. Yeah, and and it, it kind of like opens your eyes a bit. Like, you know, there was, there's this uh, romanticizing about going out on top, but it looks like MJ was like, he flat out said, I don't know if we could have won a seventh, but he wanted to. And, and, and right. that's kind of like really cool to see. Like maybe going out on top isn't the way because there's something left in the gas tank. A lot of people, a lot of people get on you for, you know, leaving a year or two years too late. But MJ was clearly at that point where he was like, yeah, I just snuck this one out, but we shouldn't. It, it, it's almost a coming of age. Like you shouldn't go out on top. You should fight till your last scrap and then whoever took over takes over and and i i really found that like kind of like a maybe a heart a a fulfilling way to look at it because i I, you know it's looked at the other way um in current times i'd say like you know you want to be progressive and get things rolling for the next rebuild and you know i think a, a lot of maybe I hate to single out analytics dorks, but maybe like a lot of, or or GMs, like a lot of GMs would have done the same move and like tried to rebuild after that year because they could kind of see the writing on the wall that, you know, a lot of players that are in their thirties, the team's going to get way too expensive. Like it's not incredibly uh, outrageous that Jerry Krause would have made those changes at the end of that season. That would have been maybe seen as a light years ahead sort of situation now. But um, the fact that Jerry Krause, and I don't want to put all this blame on him, but there was so much damage done up to the start of the 98 season that no matter what, this was going to be the last dance. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the fact that they just, there was a, I mean, we've seen probably a half dozen or so clips throughout the whole thing where they actually say it out loud, right? Like Phil comes into this season saying, yeah, this is it. Like Jerry, Jerry said, I'm not coming back. This is the last dance. And you hear the players and you hear Phil say it. You, it's it's crazy that they all went into the season knowing that this is going to be the last one. And then kind of jumping off from what you said, like it really seems like each of these people were all going in different directions anyways, right? Like Scotty wanting to play on his own team, Jerry not wanting Phil back, um, Reidsdorf wanting to save money. And listening to a few pods and people that like uh bill and rosillo or some people that are able to kind of put this situation into context because they were fans at that point i mean we were we were kids but the fact that the lockout happened in that same year and kind of gave everybody a little bit more time to think about what was going to happen and naturally just drift apart because they weren't together throughout this lockout all doing their own things it starts to make a lot more sense that it didn't come together like we all maybe would have hoped right now, right? So I don't know if Reinsdorf seems like the bad guy. He's been called one of the cheapest owners probably in sports for a long time, and this is probably one of the biggest reasons for it. Yeah, you know, as a Bulls fan, for sure. Um, But I I did really like, regardless, having MJ at the end saying that, like, I, I would have wanted to do that. And... I don't know how many of his takes or opinions have been changed retroactively, like either going through footage or him seeing Jerry on the iPad and stuff like that. But I think if there was a way to end it, and we could talk about the burning of the papers that Phil brought everybody in for and stuff like that. But um, as far as ending this 10 part doc, getting both of those guys to say what they said 
was satisfying to me for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah. It 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 was a little bit uh revealing to see that MJ was almost haunted by it. The to see that, you know, he he got emotional thinking about that, you know, we could have done this again. And uh you almost kind of feel for him there, which is kind of weird because he's a killer, like he's an absolute assassin and he's a bully sometimes, but like you really feel for him when he's like and credit to Jason Air for having these constant iPad instant reactions by MJ. Because they did a really good job storytelling just by getting MJ's off the cuff sort of uh, tidbits on like, watch this and tell us how you feel. And you could kind of see his like true emotions come out regarding things. And that was really cool to see. And um, yeah, let's absolutely touch on the, the, the burning of the papers. I thought someone they brought in and they saved the story for uh, Steve Kerr. And now they told the story of his coming of age uh, for hitting the big shot in the 97 finals. It was, it was really cool to uh, one, see Steve Kerr's side of the story and, you know, uh, explore another role player on the team and not like one of the big three Rodman, uh, Scotty MJ or, or big four, if you count Phil. Um, and, and it also helps that, Everyone has a crush on Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is Bay, and he's an absolute great storyteller and narrator. <laughs> oh man, and he's just—he's been a part of greatness wherever he's gone. You know, like <clears throat> Steve's gonna have, and he already does, but like he's gonna have an incredible story to tell um, when it's all said and done. Uh, just the the people that he's been with, the teams that he's been on, and I think. This was another huge positive for me in the storytelling of all of this is that how they basically use specific points in the timeline to branch off into these character stories, you know, and I was hoping we were going to get the Kerr thing. It makes a lot of sense that it came during his shot. Um, but the contrast between their two fathers and the murders of their fathers is something that I didn't see coming. I think in the back of my mind, I knew that um, Kerr's father was murdered as well. But the contrast between him and Michael and never talking about it and Jason asking him that, um, I didn't see coming, but super powerful story. And I mean, Kerr's, Kerr's a big part of it, right? Like he was a big part of these these three championships and a big part of uh, playing with Michael down the stretch. And I'm glad we got the the five to six, seven minutes or whatever it was uh, of, of Kerr's little story and, and getting his mom still looking good. Oh man, big shout outs to uh to parents in this docuseries because uh Michael Jordan's mother and Steve Kerr's mother uh still killing it. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, I I'm, I'm pumped we got the Kerr stuff. I gotta ask you though, because you could probably put this into context a lot better than I could. Rodman going to wrestle with the Hulk and yes. and and going to Nitro during the nba finals like can you even like two questions on this part in retrospect now can you even imagine that that happened even regardless of how special and authentic rodman is and second question what would be the equivalent of that happening today if there even is one well uh i alluded to it a couple podcasts ago but like i was like oh yeah there's there's a later bit on a wrestling arc that I'm excited for this to go through. And this is what I was waiting for, um, where Dennis Rodman joins the new world order. And it was, I thought they did a good job telling it. Um, and they used a good amount of the Hulk Hogan footage. Um, what they didn't end up 
showing though was that Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman ended up facing each other in WCW Nitro. Um, so they didn't actually go through that part where Carl Malone also jumped eventually. And they not and during they the finals, little, though. Not during the finals, no. Um, but they had a little series after, and uh that was really cool. Um I don't know, just cross moment as a wrestling fan and basketball fan. The equivalent now would be, hmm, I think the biggest wrestling fans would be Kevin Love. Um, LeBron James is a noted wrestling fan. Uh, there's actually footage of him with a flip phone in the front front row of a Monday Night Raw. Um, it would probably be Draymond Green. I'm trying to think of the most outspoken uh, Rodman equivalents. It might be Draymond Green. Uh, going over to, I want to say, I, I, the fan in me wants to say AEW, but they probably do WWE because there's a bigger paycheck there. <laughs> um, they would go to WWE and Draymond Green would have a program um, probably with the New Day um, just because Vince is a low-key racist. Um, <laughs> but but I think I think Draymond would be one of the better like oh he's already good on the mic like he's already a phenomenal trash talker and he's charismatic when he has to be um and basically going there and doing a program um we've we've seen a lot of nba crossover before we've seen Shaq in there as well um so i, I think it has to be a big man oh dude it totally slipped my mind uh joel Embiid. that's an easy answer joel Embiid, uh, number gotcha. one option so, nice yeah, someone charismatic, someone big, someone could do slams, and um, yeah, someone who could trash talk. It's just insane he went during the finals. And the whole Carmen, like, I saw so much more Carmen Electra than I ever thought was possible <laughs> during this entire documentary. Yeah, um, but the first man, he, like, having Rodman get away with all that stuff and coming out, uh, I mean, Rodman is who he is, but uh, damn, man, did he uh, live a full life. He has lived a full life. And it was kind of funny to see Phil kind of scalding him. Like, you dishonored us. Just like kind of gave him a talking yeah. to and then moved on. <laughs> he had to get his piece in, right? Yeah, he, he let him know, like, hey, Dennis, try not to do that again. And then they just got back to business. And then you go to a montage of Dennis Rodman getting ridiculous rebounds. <laughs> so good. All right. Big question, though. Was the pizza poisoned? It must have been. Like, <laughs> He's the only one that ate it. He was very clear on that. Yes, there's a there's a story floating around from Jalen and Jacoby. They had someone on, and um, the part they don't tell about the story is that MJ looked at everyone and said, this is my pizza. None of y'all waited for this. This is my pizza, and he spit on it. Yeah, I remember hearing that too. That's wild. Yeah, so they never actually got into that on the documentary, but like, MJ MJ says in the doc that's like, yeah, no one had this pizza but me. I was the only one who ate it. No one else had it. But he neglected to mention that he spit on it, which is pretty, eh, no, just a little funny. Um, yeah, no doubt. Other than that, like it, it must have been poisoned. I can't think of any other thing. Um, I guess, you know, being the only pizza place open at 2 a.m. is a red flag in Salt Lake City, especially because you're not in the middle of downtown. But I, I, I want to go on the fact that they knew that the Bulls were staying there and they might have been jazz fans. I, I can't think of anything else. Like, it, it would just be so obscure that they had, they got a bad pizza, right? Like, it, it must have been 
tampered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's all hearsay now, but uh, it, it, it's a pretty compelling kind of sequence of events that makes it seem like something happened, you know, to that pizza, or it just could have been straight up like non malicious food poisoning, right? <laughs> Which actually might be the more logical answer, but um damn hey we got it wasn't necessarily the flu game i don't know if uh, people are going to start calling it the food poisoning game but uh it was really cool to see that something like a theme of these last two episodes and maybe it's because they had like they had the film crew there for 98 but we saw a lot more basketball i feel like uh with these jazz series and so the we haven't even talked about the pacers man it was, it was awesome seeing reggie and everything but i feel like we got a lot of basketball in these last two episodes yeah, it was definitely what they covered most was those three series, those two with the Jazz and the one with the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers one was awesome. Just seeing how much of a of a shit disturber Reggie continued to be uh, throughout his entire career. We've seen it time and time again. And uh, he lightly shoved MJ in the chest uh, to get free. That was free. such a good shove. Like it, people talk <laughs> about the push off for Byron Russell. Come on, like Reggie. No. Oh my God, he shoved that guy to half court. Yeah, he he truly shoved MJ, or like MJ on Bri- Byron Russell was like, he led him. He didn't really push him. But um, yeah, Reggie, and apparently MJ was furious. Like he was giving it to the refs at the end of that game. Uh, and rightfully so. But um, yeah, Reggie is a, also one in that same realm as like incredibly media trained and incredibly charismatic. So there is no better storyteller uh, fitted uh, than him and Steve Kerr uh, to, you know, tell stories of MJ. And and probably one of my favorite anecdotes was the uh, where he was trash talking with MJ in his in his rookie season. And uh, MJ came up to him after lighting him up. and was like, you don't talk to black Jesus like that or something. Iconic. Iconic. Yeah, just yes, a legend. So good. <laughs> and it, it's so like hearing him tell that now. Like, no one even blinks an eye that someone just said that, you know? It's just like, oh, of course. Like, it's Michael Jordan. He can get away with saying something like that. And no one questions him at all. Yeah, it was one of the most... Uh, the, the entire docu-series was one of the most, just, as a basketball fan, fulfilling watches. And maybe it's because we're so basketball-starved, but it was one of the most fulfilling watches, episode one to episode ten of... You kind of touched on everything I wanted you to touch on. Um, obviously, you could ask for more, you could ask for less. Um, but obviously, also MJ had to cover. Uh, he had to greenlight this project, and I think we got we got what we wanted. Oh yeah, I mean, as far as stones left unturned, um, I'm sure there's some. There's got to be, right? I mean, that was they told more or less a story of 13 years, right? Um, there is, imagine there's a lot going on, but I couldn't agree more, man. It was just enjoyable from beginning to end. Uh, the the behind the scenes footage that we haven't seen, I think lived up to all the hype for sure. Um, there's so many different memes and ideas and just funny clips that we got that will live on basically from this documentary for sure. Um, Big question for you, though, like after these 10 parts are all done here, have your feelings on MJ changed at all? Um, no, well, I 
it depends. The sentiment of MJ that I always had is that he's the greatest of all time and no one will touch that. Um, but it's possible that he's not the best player anymore just based off science and the advancement of basketball. And uh, like, it's so hard to translate MJ into this current era of basketball because the league is so different and, um, and how would MJ fare? Um, the, the biggest comparison I could see is that he'd look and play a lot like Kawhi Leonard, but better on offense, which is a scary, scary player. Um, and I think he'd be an MVP contender in this time, but it's just like, it's so hard to translate his game to now. Um, would you have adjusted? Absolutely. But there's so many hypotheticals in it. Uh, his status as the greatest of all time remains unchanged. His status as a basketball player, frankly, remains unchanged. Um, I, I just think there are going to be players in the next hundred years and maybe now who will be better than MJ, but they won't be able to show it at the level that MJ did because no one had that drive, that determination, that skill, that muscle, that body movement, those instincts, that perfect blend, that soup mixture of uh, greatness that is Air Jordan. How about you? Yeah, I, I I echo most of those statements for sure. I think I I remember like I very much said on this this exact show that I I wanted to live in a world where LeBron James was the best player of all time. And this is coming off the 2016 championship. Momentum was in his favor, and I am a man of the moment for sure. This documentary helped me kind of revert back into the idea that I think comparing those two, I think their talent, athleticism, and just general like basketball IQ are all uh, like the best of all time. I think where Mike gets it is that just psychotic competitiveness and, yeah. and drive to it, it, it wasn't just win, but it was it was really like spiteful. Some of the the things that he had with different people, and this this whole documentary was littered with the different um, things that pissed him off, you know, and and got him going. Anything from just not saying hello to a restaurant or just things that he made up in his mind. Le- LeBron he's just not he's not that kind of person you know and i don't think somebody that doesn't have that i think kobe and maybe russ are guys that have that um right now but i don't think lebron will will ever have that you know and i think that actually is a separator when it when we really get down to it as far as my thoughts as mj as a whole um after all of this last night really reminded me of that 98 mj was the mj i remember like the the him going up against the jazz um his version of like when his his athleticism and smarts and his talent kind of all met with his basketball mind and stuff like that like the ultimate version of jordan that's the guy I remember that's the guy that was in michael jordan to the max that i used to watch over and over and over again as a kid um those were the highlights i've seen the push off the the the, the photo of uh the last shot in game six like that that's the michael that i have always kept in my mind. It was really good to go back and see the dunk contest winning Michael or the 37 points per game kind of thing, but 63 against the Celtics. Like these are all the things that I don't like. It just doesn't come straight to mind when I think of Michael Jordan and this documentary kind of helped bring all those to the forefront. But I'm just really glad how he came off 
as unapologetic about everything as he did, you know, um, them getting him down for, I I think it was three or four different sitting interviews. It looked like as far as the backgrounds go. Um, and for him to be as raw as he was, like there was, of course he didn't touch on his family very much. It was good seeing his kids, by the way. Um, but, but, uh, he, he really didn't back down to how he acted throughout those formative years. And to hear him say that now, um, I think really kind of cemented that idea in my mind that he had that, he had that crazy competitive streak and he's not sorry for it because it cemented him as the greatest of all time, six for six in championships. And man, just the way his peers revered him um, really, really came through this documentary. So has my idea changed Michael a little bit for sure, but nothing groundbreaking. I think it really just kind of cemented all the, the greatness that uh, I had for him in my mind. Absolutely. Well said. And as a BJ Armstrong put it, he couldn't have been nice. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Right. I, I love that. Uh, BJ had a really good small role, I felt like. in uh, Big win in for BJ part. Armstrong. Yeah, no doubt. It was so nice to have this 10 part doc for, for this time specifically. It, I, I can't help but wonder how this is going to affect um, all the current players going forward. I think that's going to be what I'll be thinking about the next month or so as uh, we start getting fairly positive news trickling forward. But uh, do you think this doc's going to have a lasting effect, whether it's with the current players or just the media in general? Like, what will this doc do to the collective NBA community now that it's done? Yeah, like you said, like he's been completely unapologetic. MJ's been completely unapologetic about how he's acted um, throughout his entire career in life and uh i I think he came at the exact perfect time where media was just really like fully grasping and the league was blossoming into what it is today um and it kind of helps explain kobe bryant to a lot of people i think or it'll help people understand maybe you know the determination for greatness a little bit more and a lot of people who are influenced by either michael jordan or kobe bryant who are just the pillars of basketball um, before LeBron James, this is going to help explain the sacrifices you have to make to chase greatness, which is a lifelong chase. And I can't help but think this is going to change at least a few players. Yeah, I hope so, man. LeBron's right at the top of my list because you better believe in his mind. He's like, okay, this was a good reminder of how much he still has to do to to get people to objectively think about him as the greatest of all time. 2016 was huge, but uh, what is he, three for seven in the finals, kind of? Like, yep. he's going to have to be the most points scored of all time. He's going to have to be at the top of, like, all of these different lists with maybe a couple Lakers titles in there as well. Um he he's got a pretty tough task up ahead to to see if he can uh dethrone uh the goat like that because now that everyone's reminded including us as 90s kids and even younger right like there's so many people that were born after michael jordan played his last game wizards aside so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how uh, lebron handles that going forward or maybe he's just happy with where he's where he is and uh second's a pretty good spot to be at too yeah absolutely to be slotted in already while you're still playing as one of the greatest of all time um 
it's hard to continue that chase for greatness, right? But uh, but LeBron James, hashtag strive for greatness, hashtag Taco Tuesday. He's going to keep it going, baby, and couldn't be more excited <laughs> to watch. Um, on top of all this, um, we have something very important to discuss. Um, it is the Midnight Gospel Review by Neil Noonan. Oh, man. I think, you know what? Looking at the time right now, let's tease that. Because going forward, who knows what the basketball news is going to be. But as far as being a basketball show, I think we're going to have a lot of time. Uh, maybe maybe it's next week or maybe we're, we'll do some like uh, off-schedule pods uh, for some pop culture. But yeah, I, I'm pumped you got me to watch it. And uh, I definitely have some, some I don't want to say hot takes, but uh, some strong opinions uh very excited of the, of the show for sure but uh man it was it was so good to be able to uh rehash these episodes uh with you and uh yeah going forward we'll i guess we'll we'll, we'll keep doing the show for sure as far as nba news goes but uh we can sprinkle in some animal crossing i picked up 2k been raging in my career lately and then yeah i guess uh what we're watching and uh everything going forward but uh it was nice to have somebody to talk about these episodes with uh every monday morning Absolutely, man. Uh, my friend, always good to talk hoop. Always good to uh, talk with the masses. You know, the the maybe dozen of people who listen to us. Big shouts to all of them. And uh, we we appreciate you. We appreciate basketball. And uh, stay up. Yeah, without a doubt, man. All right, uh, that will do us. Uh, do it for us here at one one point five UMFM this week. But uh, like we said. We're going to come back with uh, whatever we're talking about. Uh, it's going to happen, but uh, we will be here. Until then, stay safe, hang in there, and uh, man, peace out. MJ, the go. <laughs>